This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena no mai kiti korero e ranga e tereo e rangi o tangata o Manawatu. It is the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Ko Fraser Greg, aho. It is a Friday. It is time to turn our attention to central government and uh, usually in the studio, but not today. On the phone, we have MP for Palmerston North, Tangi Utikeri. Good morning to you, sir. Morena Fraser and to the listeners out there, great to join you, albeit by phone today. Yes, you're normally Parliament sort of wraps up on a Thursday, doesn't it? And you get back to do electorate duties on a Friday, but you're still down in Wellington. I am. So I um, have been in Wellington this week. Uh, the, the, the approach is a little bit different, where not everyone is physically here on site, but I am, and I have some other commitments uh, this morning before I get to head back to Palmerston North later later this evening. So yes, it's been a little bit different uh, coming down to the Parliament given that um, those on the front lawn have been cleared since uh, since I was last here, um, but still nice to be, be here, but looking forward to coming back home. Yeah, we haven't seen much in the media since the protests uh, finished, but I gather the view is somewhat different to pre-occupation. It certainly is. It's um, it's even uh, different just accessing the parliamentary grounds. So there is still a police presence around the perimeter of the parliament, not to the extent that we have seen on the news and media last week, but certainly along most of the points um, it, it is quite noticeable. And I do want to just give a shout-out to our local Palmy police because I know that some of them uh, have been down here. Actually, the, the, the officer who was on deck when I arrived uh, earlier in the week was one from Palmerston North who was, we were able to have a little chat about that. Um, so I acknowledge that they have been doing their bit. We've had other staff members from um, police members from Whangarei, for example. So quite a, a domestic effort around this, which obviously has meant that you know they've been taken out of their local areas, including Palmerston North, which is disappointing. But um, that's what has to has to happen in order for us to move forward. Um, the front lawn of Parliament uh, is basically soil um, at the moment. There is no grass to be seen. Um, and so, you know, the Speaker has made it quite clear that um, contractors and others will start a process, and they're doing that at the moment, to restore the parliamentary grounds. Um, and, yes, yeah, so it's a little bit different. It's, it's sad to see it in this current state, uh, much better state than what we had seen a couple of weeks ago, um, but part of the restoration process nonetheless. Um, when the grounds are uh, restored, uh, there has been talk of prote- potentially uh, an additional boundary or a wall or some sort of... Uh, uh, um, system whereby this can't happen again. Um, are you in favour of, of blocking off Parliament's grounds from public access? Yeah, I've, I've seen uh, sort of comments around that in circulation. Um, my view is that Parliament needs to be a safe place, uh, but it also needs to be a place that's able to be accessed by uh, the, the people. You know, I, I certainly stand by the responsibility and, um, I guess, right of people to be able to post, protest peacefully. Um, but 
particularly be able to access the Parliament as well. I think New Zealand is is quite different with many other places of the world where access to parliamentarians is is largely unrestricted, um, even back in in electorates. Um, I would hate to see that change, uh, but by the same token, I think there needs to be, as as part of a a review, which is going to be undertaken um, anyhow, those are the sort of conversations that will form part of the, the discussion in that space. Um, but primarily for me, I'd like to see our parliament continue to be accessible, albeit I know that there might be some safety considerations that need to be in the mix. Indeed. I mean, what, where would New Zealand be if you couldn't drive a tractor up the steps of parliament? Well, and that happened quite some time ago. <laughs> um, and, you know, in terms of that example, what we do see is that there are some measures that are put in place to respond to those sort of actions. So um, that happened well before my time in the parliament, but I am advised that as a result of that, that's why some of the bollards are in place around Parliament and have been for a number of years now. So I think, you know, we, we've had a very disruptive protest situation, occupation on the grounds of Parliament. Um, as a result of that, there will be a review and there no doubt will be some recommendations. Um, my view is that, that Parliament still needs to be accessible in some form to, uh, to people. People need to be able to protest. Clearly what we had seen over recent weeks um, is something quite different. Um, you know, those that want to come to Parliament make their points known, do it peacefully, uh, members of Parliament and others get the message and then they move on. Um, and that had been my consistent message throughout this current occupation as well. You mentioned that there were some uh, Palmerston North uh, police down at the protest site and, of course, uh, the police generally uh, praised for, for what they did uh, on that final day. Um, but we were speaking to Matt Dallas from the Two Standard on Wednesday here on NPR, and uh, we were noting that um, ram raids are the crime du jour, uh, and it seems to be if, if kids are going to steal a car, they might just back it into a petrol station, or in this case, hunting and fishing, uh, to, to round off the night. Do you think this was in part due to a, a, a lesser police presence in Palmerston North with them being down in Wellington? No, I I don't believe so. I mean, I've been in touch in in this role with um, our area inspector regularly, um, as have other civic leaders like the Mayor and and others as well. Um, Palmerston North Police were doing their part as part of the the national response to uh, events here in Wellington. Um, The the fact that they were here, um, sure, it means that there have been less resources back in other parts of of the country. But I think what we're seeing in in Palmerston North is is an increased number of, um, well, criminal activity that that relates to um, cars and young people. And I I see there's a lot of media locally around that over the last 10 days or so. Um, I I don't believe that having, you know, some additional police here in Wellington has uh, meant that that there's been a huge significant impact back in Palmerston North. It has made things a little bit tight, I'm sure, but not to the extent that could be an excuse for the activities that have happened, such as the Ram Raid. You uh, mentioned that the, that the hybrid parliament is, is in effect now, um, but you've still chosen, you've not taken advantage of that. You've still chosen to, to go down to Wellington and participate in person. So um, last week I did participate in the hybrid Parliament uh, remotely, so I was in Palmerston North last week while Parliament was sitting, and so I did beam him. I think there was a report where Simon Bridges says, beam me up, Tungy, uh, when I sort of beamed into the House to, to make my contributions and to ask uh, Ministers questions. So I have been participating remotely last week. This week, however, um, it's still important for there to be a physical presence uh, across all of the parties here on the precinct. And so um, this week I was one of a handful of MPs that um, that was 
physically here in Parliament. Um, it's, it's a bit different having a hybrid Parliament because what it basically means is that members of Parliament can zoom into the chamber. So the physical layout of the debating chamber has a couple of screens, big screens, situated where um, members of Parliament's desks and chairs are. And when a speaker is given the call to participate, they basically beam in remotely. There have been a few technical glitches, but I think by and large it has worked extremely well. Um, and this is something that uh, some members of the opposition had been hesitant to support. It's something that, that the Labour Party had wanted to um, approve, but those sort of decisions are made with the basically near um, unanimous approach of all parties. So even though Labour has the numbers in the House, the way in which the House functions is usually by consensus. And National had um, basically not been quite keen. What's ironic, I think, is that a majority of uh, their members seem to be uh, availing themselves of the hybrid parliament because, as, as we've seen, a number of MPs have uh, now got COVID and um, many of them have come from the opposition benches. We are here with Tangi Utikeri, Memo Parimata o Papayoya, for the catch-up. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions uh, of the show, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. New Zealand made international headlines uh, briefly uh, when it turned out that we couldn't impose as many sanctions as perhaps we would like on Russia following the invasion of Ukraine. Um, That's been, well, is in the process of, I believe, or maybe already has uh, been turned around to allow some more freedoms in that area? Yes, it has. And and this is fairly historic because this week um, the Parliament passed the Russia Sanctions Act um, and it passed it unanimously. And I was in the House for contributions um, and gave a contribution on on the bill. Um, This is largely because the the former approach through the United Nations um, hasn't quite worked. And the reason why it hasn't worked in terms of being able to apply sanctions is because the UN Security Council, of which Russia is a member, and actually more so than that, Russia currently chairs that Security Council, um, that Russia used its veto power, which is, you know, the one of five countries that have a veto power. So even though if you were to do a raw tally or a count of the number of votes within the Security Council, it would have passed. The fact that Russia had... um, used its veto, meant that it failed. Um, So this is a way in which the government has been able to respond by passing a specific law that relates to Russia and our ability as a country to to impose sanctions um, on them. Um, It's interesting that, you know, one other organ of the United Nations, which is the General Assembly, which has all United Nations members within it, uh, they, I think it was 141 to maybe four or five votes, um, that, that condemned Russia's actions. So, you know, the position of the United Nations is to condemn the actions, but the ability to impose sanctions via the Security Council um, is, is, is largely weak. So, yeah, very historic um, and an opportunity for the government and New Zealand to impose uh, sanctions directly on Russia and Putin's regime. And how are we balancing those sanctions? Because obviously if we are going to say, right, you can no longer have access to our dairy, uh, that is a, uh, that, that's a potential customer. And if they don't buy it, then we're potentially hurting people in New Zealand as well. 
Yeah, and you and I briefly touched on this the last time we chat a couple of chat a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Where, you know, if, if you're looking at placing a sanction on imports or on exports, particularly for exports there and, and dairy, which is our our main export through to that part of the world and indeed to Russia, um, there are still opportunities in other parts of the world to increase um, the, the the dairy exporting. Um, and for example, when we've just signed a free trade agreement with the UK, um, that's going to cause a lot of um, advantages for many of our exporters because of the, the um, balancing act, I guess, in terms of a number of the tariffs no longer being applicable. Um, so the, the point of having the uh, Russia Sanctions Act is largely to make sure that we're able to target Russia, not Russian people. Uh, you know, for example, I read overnight that there was a particular boat, I think that's, that's docked in Bluff, uh, that was intending to travel to uh, the Chatham Islands, which is obviously within New Zealand's jurisdiction, and further down to Antarctica, uh, as a result of this piece of legislation passed this week. Um, that's no longer the case. So this will have an impact on some people. It's targeted towards the Putin regime, those that support Putin, uh, in what is clearly atro- atrocities, and we just need to turn on the telly, listen to the radio, and look elsewhere to see that happening. Um, but by the same token, it needs to be targeted at the right people and also targeted at those that are supportive of Putin, such such as Belarus. Uh, Belarus, you know, at the moment are largely um, allowing, uh, supporting Putin, and so it gives us an ability to, to, even though this is the Russia Sanctions Act, target those players who are supportive of what Putin is doing uh, in Ukraine. It is it is uh, a very complex situation over there when you start getting into it because when Russia's your next door neighbour and you can see what they're doing to your brother across the street, you're not inclined to put up much of a fight, are you? It can be difficult, but we're all members of the international community and the atrocities that are being experienced by members of our Ukraine community um, as a result of their family members back in Ukraine is just dire. I mean, you know, it's every moment we, we get stuff through the wire, we get stuff um, through media platforms, uh, there is yet another um, unsavoury element to what Putin is doing. And so what's really important is that even though New Zealand is quite some distance away, we are still hell-bent on uh, playing our part as much as we can uh, as an international member of the community. Now, that extends to a contribution of, of, of $2 million for humanitarian purposes and reasons. And, you know, New Zealand obviously commits its budget largely within the Pacific realm and region. Um, but as an international player, we still see it as important uh, to be doing our bit. And passing this, this piece of legislation under urgency um, on Wednesday with unanimous support of the entire parliament... Um, is something that demonstrates to the rest of the international community um, that we are trying and we will do our bit. Uh, Turning to matters back at home and and the pandemic, um, what I'm referring to is the managed outbreak uh, of Omicron. Um, Well, we assume Omicron. There could be a number of variants on the loose. I guess the the point I'm making here is that... 
there's not a lot left to do to organize now i mean some people are are being a bit gung-ho about scanning into places now because what's the point people aren't lodging their uh, rat uh, results because what's the point uh, that means that our numbers that we reference every day our case numbers are, are probably inaccurate and we're trying to manage where the the peak will be um there doesn't seem to be a lot of control left on this well, it is disappointing to hear of, of those um, those approaches. And if we look at the scanning, for example, um, yes, I understand that some people are choosing not to scan because they don't see it. You know, what is the point? Um, if if we look at what the point is for some, actually, once you scan in, and if you have your Bluetooth on, and there's a notification that it is at a sensitive um, place of, of of interest or location of interest and you get a notification that you might be exposed, may have been exposed to COVID, which many people have actually, as I understand, have received those notifications, then it means that you're in a position to think about what you might do over the next seven days or so. Not in terms of being a a household contact, but in terms of maybe visiting or not visiting an elderly relative in a a retirement setting who are much more vulnerable. So, you know, I I get why some people are saying, well, it's pointless because we're going to get and it's going to be everywhere. But they are still public health measures to support the overall response. Um, In terms of rat tests, I I think there is still an opportunity um, to to just push the line here that, um, or the opportunity that, you know, the, the government does have a huge supply of rats. Um, I find it interesting people refer to it as rat tests, including myself and the tears for the test. Yes. But anyhow, um, you know, there are a number of rats that are available. The focus is on easy collection of them. And so while in, in Palmerston North, you know, we've got some community providers uh, making them available and those that may front up to the testing site in Main Street may, be ended up, may end up leaving with um, some of those rats rather than having a PCR. Um, there is also the arena setup where there's a drive-through opportunity. And so, you know, m- my focus really is on making sure that we're able to uh, extend the availability of those so that it's easy for people to drive through or to turn up or to, to have them uh, available. And so what we've heard over the last few days is, you know, pharmacies, other community providers, they will also be um, places where people can pick, pick them up. Um, this is an ever-changing situation, and I know we've talked about that, uh, and many have, um, over quite some time, actually. Uh, and, you know, the recent announcement earlier in the week that we would move from a uh, self-isolation or home isolation period of 10 days down to seven uh, later this evening um, is recognition of, of that, that it is changing, but also of the implications and effects that it is having on our, on our community. Um, so, yeah, look, more information I'm sure will come as that public health advice is given to those that make decisions. But I really urge people to, to continue to be responsible, um, to continue to scan in, to, um, you know, stay home if you're unwell to get a test. Um, and certainly if you are a household contact uh, or have COVID yourself to isolate for those seven days. Um, we are here with Tang Utikeri, a Member of Parliament for Palmerston North on the Catch-Up. If you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, uh, you'll find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your online listening, and of course at npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Uh, is there a cost of living crisis in New Zealand, Tangy? Well, what I would say um, around that is that, you know, it, it's clear that there are uh, an increase in prices for a number of, of items. And as a government, you know, we've been really clear that the focus on ensuring that people can 
uh, can pay for items and can uh, live a life here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, is actually about making sure that we lift wages. And so, as a government, we have been doing that. I mean, you know, not to the extent well, that costs are going up, though. That's the thing. Sorry. Not to the extent that costs are rising. Uh, well, what I would say is that when when you have uh, an issue with prices, those that are worst off are those that are on the lowest income. And so, you know, and colleagues have been talking about this um, in the House this week in response to the estimates and well, the tax bill that's currently before the House. But when we look at focusing on lifting the wages of those that are the lowest paid, it makes a difference. Um, what I see from the National Party in terms of a response is tax cuts, uh, proposed tax cuts, and tax cuts that would deliver, um, you know, my colleague Dr Duncan Webb talked about this quite, quite, I think, spot on actually, is that it would deliver for those on, say, $48,000 a year, a tax cut of $112 a year, whereas members of parliament, um, leaders of political parties and others would be in the thousands. So, what, what you know, my sort of focus, I guess, is the mechanism to address those increasing prices is putting more money in people's pockets, yeah, those uh, at the lower end of the income spectrum. Yeah, no, fair enough. So if, if someone's on minimum wage working 40 hours a week and you give them a, a whole dollar extra, even after tax, they get an extra $40 in their pocket. Meanwhile, petrol is pretty much doubled in price in the past two years, uh, and that's just gobbled up at the pump. There's no, and that's not factoring in rent increases. I mean, rents have doubled in the past, what, three or four years. Um, it's just not getting, the, the, the increase in salary is not enough. And I, I think those two issues, um, yes, petrol is on the increase, and we can all see that. Housing, uh, the, in terms of the rent increase, a lot of that is to do with the price of housing as well, and so you know, we've we've talked about as a government how we're intending to do something about it. I see uh, the average price of houses in New- in Palmerston North has dropped quite significantly over in terms of its last um, its last reporting um, quarter or thereabouts. Uh, in terms of cost of living, I think you know when we think about when we go to the supermarket, the uh, lack of competition uh, that exists. And so this week, the Commerce Commission has released a report on. Um, well, monopoly, duopoly, call it what you want, in terms of access to fair prices within supermarkets. And so the government has said that we intend to implement some of those recommendations to address that. So I think there are a number of different uh, factors at play here. Uh, You know, rents, access to um, petrol and vehicles and all of those sorts of things, EVs, which we've talked about in the the past, um, that all seem to converge uh, at a particular point in time. So the government is working hard to try and increase wages, give people back more money in their pockets in terms of lower-income individuals, tackle the issues around competitive pricing with supermarkets so that regardless of whether you go to New World or to um, Countdown or somewhere else, that it's, it's, uh, the prices reflect uh, a more competitive market, which is not the case at the moment. So all of these factors all come together, um, and the government is, is certainly intent on doing its bit to try and address them. So for someone who is on uh, minimum wage or at the lower end of the income spectrum, uh, who may potentially be quite uh, dis- disenfranchised or disenchanted by politics, what do you say to them about their situation? Because from what you've said, it sounds like this is going to take a few years uh, to fix, uh, and in the meantime, their situation is only going to get worse. 
No, I, I, I wouldn't say it's going to take a few years to fix. What I would say is that we are committed to lifting the minimum wage. A new increase will come in on the 1st of April. That'll take it minimum to $21.20, up from 20 We're committed to that. We went to the electorate as part of the 2020 election with manifesto commitments in that space. Uh, the Minister, in terms of consumer affairs, has made it clear that the uh, regulation component within the supermarket um, what is it, sector uh, is a matter of urgency, and so this week he has talked about how we look. We will look to immediately implement and address those recommendations that the Commerce Commission have made. So I, I certainly accept that these changes are not going to happen overnight, um, but I would reject the premise that they are going to take you know years and quite some time. Um, so I, I do understand that people are hurting out there. You know, the people that come through our office, that the team and I deal with, um, often are in need of some support. Uh, Able to, they're able to access that support um, because, you know, we, we, we have the mechanisms in place uh, through MSD and others. Uh, people are doing it tough, but I would say to them that if you're not into politics, the, the alternative is not going to make it any different for you. Fair enough. We've got about four minutes left, Tangy. A chance to maybe talk about the Palmerston North Reserve's empowering bill because that seems to have gone a bit left field. Um, everyone went down there with the thought that, that we were going to turn, in particular, who is Street Reserve. This is the, the area that we're talking about the most. Uh, freeing that up from being a reserve for potentially uh, housing, um, that all still to be decided. Um, but the submissions have almost been unanimously against the move. Um, yes, yeah, so last week the Environment Select Committee heard from those submitters that wish to address the committee. Not all of the submissions are in support of um, retaining, well, the council not being able to sell the land if it, if it chooses. There are actually some submissions that think that it is appropriate that the land is sold by the council and is available for housing. Uh, but those that we did hear from um, last week orally, uh, an overwhelming majority of those uh, were in favour of retaining the um, the land within council ownership, not for development. Um, the, the select committee co- currently is working through a process of, um, you know, obviously hearing all those submitters, and then it will it will make a, a decision. But fundamentally, the the position of of the parliament um, is to consider whether you know the process has been followed. Um, and whether it's appropriate for the council to lift uh, or be able to lift the reserve status. I would point out that even if the the parliament passes this bill, it does not automatically mean that the land will be sold. The council, if they choose to do that, will still be required to go through a consultative process uh, before they make that particular decision. So it's um, in, in giving the bill the green light, if the parliament decides to do that, um, is not automatically going to lead to the sale of the land. It just basically means that the council will be in a position to lift the reserve status if it chooses to after a process of consultation with its community. Given the weight of the submissions, though, and the fact that the council went down there and said um, the community has had a shift in mindset, they are keen for this land to, to be developed and to help address the housing crisis, but then to have a weight of submissions, including Councillor Brent Barrett, who broke ranks and said, no, we don't want it sold, will this get to Parliament to be debated and, and passed? It, it strikes me that it, one... The council's conveyed one opinion, but it is not accurate. Well, in terms of Councillor um, Barrett, he's made it very clear that his submission is in his personal capacity rather than as a councillor. So my focus in uh, presenting or introducing the bill had been on ensuring that 
the council had uh, presented me with a certified copy of the council resolution, which it did. Um, look, the, the Environment Select Committee has not deliberated or made a decision on what it wishes to recommend to the Parliament at this stage. Uh, as with anything, what I would say is that it will consider all submissions, not just the oral ones, those written submissions that were supportive of what the Council wishes to do, they will also, the committee will also consider their views. Um, just because someone presents a, an oral submission should not lend more weight to the, the submission itself. Sure, it provides an opportunity for members of Parliament to uh, clarify the position, to ask them questions, and that certainly happened. Um, but it doesn't mean that just because you don't speak to your submission that yours is any less uh, important than, than others. Marvellous. Tangi Utakiri, uh, thank you for joining us on the catch-up this morning. Thank you, Fraser. Matiwa. There we go, Tangi Utakiri, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North, joining us on the catch-up this morning. Join us at half past eight on Monday for the next edition of the catch-up. Wendy Carr from Fielding and District Promotions will be joining us, finding out what's going on in the area. Have a great weekend. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.